How are we all doing? Yes, Zoe's all right. Is anyone else all right? Sam's all right at the back. Anyone else? Yeah. Oh, oh my goodness. I feel like this, this half of the church are about to, to fall asleep. It's all right, because um, it, it, this might be good news for you, because I believe this is my last Sunday sermon at Christchurch W4. Oh, you, you guys are too kind. I was, I, I was going to say, you, you, you've got to pray for the Thursday communion, because they've still got me in a couple more times. But anyway, let's, um, let's crack on. Jesus, just come and be with us. Speak through me tonight. Amen. Have you ever been told that you're not good enough? Has anyone ever said to you that, that you need to do this or you need to do that to be good enough? That you need to do something more than what you're currently able to do or, or kind of doing to be good enough? Because I remember the first time someone told me you're not good enough. So let me take you back to primary school, year two, Mrs. Jones's class. Oh, Mrs. Jones. You see, we were doing some, I think, I don't know, I think it was English or spelling or something. And I was sat there next to my best mate, Matthew, and uh, I was working out, right, which way round does a bee go? Does it go this way or does it go that way? And I was working really, really hard and trying my very, very best to write my best bee the right way round. And Mrs. Jones was doing her rounds, table by table by table, going around and checking everyone's work. And then she came behind me, peered over my shoulder and grabbed my workbook and lifted it up into the air and said, what is this? What is this? This is not good enough. This is not okay. Look at Matthew's book. And she showed me all his lovely lines of nice, neat writing all on the line, all kind of joined up as a year two school kid does. Mine wasn't good enough. And that lunchtime, I got to spend the whole of lunch facing the school hall wall like this while all my mates were outside in the sunshine like today playing football on the field. That was my first run-in with Mrs. Jones but it certainly wasn't my last. That whole year year two of school, it seemed that whatever I did, and no matter how much effort I put in, I just couldn't produce the work that Mrs. Jones wanted me to produce. And so I spent most of my lunches facing the school hall wall. And by the end of year two, I knew that wall like the back of my hand. I could tell you where every nook and cranny was. I could tell you where I hid my sweets, because, you know, anyway. Um, but the thing was, at the end of that year, I remember asking myself, you know, what do I need to do to be good enough? What do I need to, to do, or what do I need to know that will make me as good as all the other kids who get to play football in the sunshine on the grass? These questions are at the heart of Paul's message to the Galatian church. You see, the Galatian church, um, was, it was actually established, it was planted by Paul, and uh, 
And what had happened was since Paul had left the church, some infiltrators had gone into the church and they'd started teaching the, the Christians in Galatia that, that actually the gospel that they've received, the gospel that they were being told wasn't good enough. That actually they needed to do something more to be saved. In Paul's day, there were two types of Christians. You've got the Jewish Christians who... Um, were converts from Jewish Judaism and they're messianic Jews they they had seen Jesus and they said Jesus is the Messiah we're going to follow him but hold on to our Jewish heritage on the way and then you've got the Gentile Christians the non-Jewish believers in Jesus and what had happened in Galatia which was a a church mainly made up of non-Jewish Jewish believers was some Jewish believers had come to the church in Galatia and they had started saying that actually you know yes what Paul taught you was good but you need to become more like us what you need to do is actually you need to accept circumcision you need to you need to accept kind of coming under the law if you like that Jews uh, kind of came under Your gospel of just Jesus is not enough. And Paul hears about these people who had gone to the church in in Galatia, and he's furious. Read what he um, writes in verse 6. I'm astonished, he says, that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. He's astonished that that the church in Galatia are are kind of moving away from what he originally preached to them. And so he sets out his defense of his gospel. He sets out the defense of what he first taught them. And he starts by kind of revealing, reminding them of his own credentials as an apostle and also the authority with which his gospel comes with. And so we're going to look at that, and there's three main points, I think, in chapter one of Paul's defense. And first up is that uh, Paul's defense is rooted in his own conversion story. So if you remember Paul, uh, if you remember his story, when he was Saul, he went about persecuting the church you can read in acts that actually he's he's breathing murderous threats against the church and he's on his way to damascus and he's about to go there to shut the church down to to persecute the christians there and on the road to damascus he kind of has this kind of encounter with jesus this transforming moment of his life and when he meets jesus his life is changed instantly He goes from persecutor to preacher. But what does Paul do when he encounters Jesus? Does he run off to Jerusalem to kind of do an alpha course with Peter and the the other apostles there? He he doesn't actually. He, He doesn't go to Jerusalem, the kind of the heart of where the good news of Jesus is coming from. He actually goes to kind of obscurity. He goes to Arabia and spends time there. And it's only three years later that he actually spends time with Cephas, which is, which is also Peter, known as Peter. And he also spends a bit of time with James there. You see, 
the gospel that Paul received wasn't from human word of mouth. It wasn't given to him by Peter and James. It was revealed to him by Jesus himself on the road to Damascus. As Paul himself testifies in verse 11, the gospel I preached is not of human origins. See, Paul's gospel comes with divine authority. It's from Jesus himself. And it's for all people, particularly the Gentiles. Second, you've all read stories, I'm sure, about lone wolf leaders who go off on their own and they, they kind of say, you follow me, I'm the leader, I'm above repute. Whatever I say goes. And we all know how leaders like that end, generally in a sticky mess, because they've not had the challenge or the scrutiny of others to keep them on the straight and narrow and some of the accusations that have been kind of angled at Paul is that he's this kind of lone wolf leader with his own gospel, but that's not true at all. Actually, if we look at verse 2 of uh, Galatians, it actually tells us that the letter comes with the approval of all the brothers with me. It's not just Paul on his own writing this letter of saying, this is the good news to the Galatians. It's actually written and affirmed it's got credibility from the from the church that Paul is with from other Christian believers Paul is no lone wolf leader he is there amongst brothers and sisters of the faith and they agree and affirm the gospel that he preaches and third and finally in Paul's defense in this chapter some of Paul's critics were suggesting that Paul's gospel to the Gentiles was kind of a people-pleasing people pleasing gospel because it didn't require the Gentiles to be circumcised. And let's be honest, no one really wants to be circumcised, right? Yeah. Is anyone with me that no one really wants to be, right? No one really wants to be circumcised, right? And, uh, and so people were saying, well, it's just people pleasing. It's making it easier for the Gentiles. Well, Paul refutes that too in our passage. Read verse 8. Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Who is Paul trying to please? It's God. He's, he's effectively saying, look, I'm under God's judgment, not humans, hum, humankind's judgment. I'm going to be judged by God. So it is God who I am concerned about. It is God who I want to honor and God whom I want to please. And he goes on in the rest of the chapter to say, well, actually, look, when I was a leader in Judaism, people kind of respected me for being kind of really clever and really well-learned and, uh, and for my zeal for Judaism. But since becoming a Christian... I've been persecuted, I've been beaten, he will be shipwrecked. That's, why would you trade that life of respectability 
for a life where you're going to be persecuted by others. If he was all about pleasing people, he's not. He's, he's, he's about pleasing God. He's about honoring God in all he does. And that's what his gospel is all about. So his gospel comes with divine authority from Jesus himself, revealed to him on the road to Damascus. It has all the backing of fellow believers. And it's about God and about honoring and pleasing him even at the expense of human popularity and approval. So what is Paul's gospel, I hear you ask, right? We want to know what it is. Well, we get some clues from verse four, uh, 1 to 4, and let's just quickly go through those. It says, Paul writes, Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins, but God raised him from the dead so that we may be delivered from this present evil age. So there's a real short summary of Paul's gospel to the Galatians that that Christ gave himself for our sins, that God has raised Jesus from the dead, and through that we are delivered from this present evil age. But to get a fuller picture, and because this is the first one in the series in Galatians, we get to zoom out and we get to explore the whole summary of what Paul's gospel is to the Galatians and here's my attempt at that summary Jesus's death and resurrection deliver each and every one of us from the evils of this age from sin from the corruption of evil to a new age that is yet to come as if it's a new exodus moment where God saves his people, where God rescues them from slavery of old to new life, to freedom, to hope, to fullness. The law has been completely fulfilled by Jesus on the cross. The law has been completely fulfilled by Jesus on the cross so that all people, Jews and Gentiles might be justified, justified meaning um, right before God, made right before God by faith in Jesus alone. It is faith in Jesus alone that we are made right. So there's no need for circumcision. There's no need for anything else for that matter. Just faith in Jesus. And if we're in Jesus, then we are part of his family. We get to be part of this new family of God that that God is drawing together from all over the world. And there's one qualifying criteria, that you are in Jesus. That's all you need. If you are in Jesus, then you are in God's family. And as signs of being part of that family, it's no longer circumcision, it's faith in Jesus, which is the qualifying criteria, and it's life in the Spirit. And now as people who have got life in the Spirit, it is God's Spirit who enables us to live out God's new covenant law. Each and every day. 
Therefore, we don't need to submit to any other signs, any other things, just to Jesus himself. And as we do so, we get to enjoy the freedom of life in Jesus and the Spirit. So back to primary school. Year three. It's just begun. It wasn't day one, but it was pretty early on. I got wheeled into this classroom. It was, it, it was more of a broom cupboard, but they called it a classroom. And uh, there was this strange teacher that I've never met before sat behind this desk, and they had all these kind of apparatus out on this table, and I thought they were going to do medical testing on me. Um, and, uh, you know, lab rats and all that. And John Holder will do. He'll sub in. Um, and, uh, and actually, it, it turned out that this teacher was, was an educational psychologist. And uh, he did all sorts of tests to me and made me write Bs forwards and backwards in all sorts of ways. And uh, it actually turned out, after I'd been tested, that actually I knew everything that I needed to know to thrive at school. I knew all that I needed to know. I was just dyslexic. I know. I know. Now, I'm never going to be an academic, but, you know, I, I quite like my common sense. Um, my brother's an academic, and he certainly has none of that. And, um, <laughs> but uh, I, the, the good news was, apart from, you know, anyway, forget my brother. Right. Was, was, was my, my days of facing the school hall wall were over once and for all. I didn't have to face the school wall ever again, and I got to enjoy the freedom of football on the grass and the sunshine in Hereford, which was only once a year anyway, so, you know, I didn't really miss out on that much anyway. You see, the Galatian church had been told that it wasn't good enough, that its gospel wasn't good enough, that they needed circumcision, that they needed extra things to be right with God. But the beauty of the gospel is actually that Jesus is enough, and the Galatian church knew everything they needed to know in Jesus. The Galatian church knew everything it needed to know in Jesus. Behind us on the uh, uh, the, the what, what's this, this wooden thing behind me, right? Rude screen, thank you. You can tell I'm a vicar. I've done my training, right? It's got a little A and, and a little omega thing. Alpha and omega. You see, God is the beginning and the end. Jesus is the beginning and the end of everything that we need to know. Everything we have is in Jesus. Everything we need is in Jesus. He is the starter and the perfecter of our faith. End of story. That is all we need. We don't need extra bits. And what is true for the Galatian church is true for us. We don't need anything more than Jesus to be made right with God. We don't need anything else apart from Jesus to be adopted into his family, to be part of God's new worldwide family. Jesus is enough. And we don't need anything other than Jesus to any add-on or anything else to live life and to play our part in that family. 
We can join in with being God's family through Jesus because Jesus' faithfulness is enough for that too. He says, come and play your part because I'm enough for you. Come and experience life in the spirit through me because I am enough. Whoever we are, wherever we've come from, whatever we have done in the past, Jesus is enough. And if we put our faith and trust in him, he will transform our lives just as he transformed Paul's life on the road to Damascus. Set us free from the past, release us to new life in him. This is Paul's gospel. It is the only gospel. And that's good news, right? Yeah, it is good news. I'll take the murmur as everyone agreeing that it is good news that, that it's Jesus and everything is about Jesus and it's for Jesus, it's through Jesus and it's, it glorifies Jesus. So what about us tonight, where we're sat? Well, maybe it's a good reminder tonight to just be reminded that actually the gospel's really simple. That actually at the very heart of it, the fundamentally coming back to Jesus and just saying, okay, Lord, strip away everything else. Strip away all the distractions. Yes, it's fun talking about theology. Yes, it's fun kind of exploring, you know, everything that you've got for me, Lord. But actually, fundamentally... It's all about you. And sometimes we get kind of caught up on some of the distractions and we forget that it's all about Jesus. So perhaps tonight we've got an opportunity to just spend some time with Jesus. When the band come up, just take the time to say, Jesus, here I am. Come and reveal yourself to me afresh this evening. Or maybe another response is that you've been told that you're, you're, you're not good enough in one way or another. And that's not how God sees you. It's not how God sees you. He sees you, he looks at you, and he loves you, he delights in you, and he longs for you to know life in Jesus. Jesus who is enough. Jesus who... who restores, who brings, makes us whole. Jesus who, who offers freedom and hope. And if that's you, we'd love to pray for you tonight. If you would, if you would like that, that lie to, to be kind of, to be removed from you, that someone has spoken over you, then we'd love to pray for you. And to ask Jesus to, to be enough. Because that's what he offers us. He says, I'm enough. I am the Alpha and the Omega. In me, all things hold together. And maybe there's actually a third group of us who... who who kind of wonder, can I ever be a good enough Christian to, to kind of step out? Or can I be a good enough 
Christian to play in the band or to, to read the Bible or to, to help with the youth group. I'm not sure I am. Well, that's not true because Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. And he says, if you know me, if you put your trust in me, come and receive my life, come and receive my fullness, come and receive my leading and my guiding, come and receive my sending. So if someone said that to you, or you, you can kind of hold that in your heart, we'd love to pray for you tonight as well. And there'll be a, a group of us at my right, your, your left. We'd just love to pray with you tonight. Otherwise, I'll hand over to the band and, and they'll lead us in worship. I'm going to pray. Should we stand together?